0: Hello Unnecessary Detail listeners, it's me, Matt Parker. Before the episode starts, I want to let you know that our next big spectacular live show, that's where we're actual humans on a stage, will be in London's glamorous West End on Monday the 2nd of December. Tickets are already on sale and they're selling fast, so get over to festivalofthespokennerd.com tickets and you can join up to 1,199 other detail fans in this fantastic theatre. I hope to see you there. And now, on with the episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
3: Hi, I'm Helen Arney.
4: I'm Steve Mould.
0: I'm Matt Parker. And this is a podcast of Unnecessary Detail.
4: That's where the famous saying started. Come for the podcast. Stay for the unnecessary detail.
0: That's all literally true, apart from the word famous. Now, this episode (laughs) is called Curiouser and Curiouser.
3: So each of us will talk about something we absolutely, straight up, 100% did not believe the first time we heard it.
4: Here's the thing, though. All that stuff is actually true and more interesting than we thought.
0: Now, we would like to give a quick warning that some content in this episode references the process of reproduction. In detail.
3: Yes, that'll be Steve's bit about barnacle appendages and my song about how animals make more animals.
0: And my bit. I mean, my bit has some actual graphic content. It's just literally graphs. That's
4: disappointing. All right, let's set phases to detail.
3: So my curious detail this week is one of the weird things that my daughter brings home from school. And I'm not talking like head lice or (laughs) norovirus, which, you know, have happened. But she sometimes brings home these facts. They're what she thinks are facts because they're things that (laughs) she learned at school. (laughs) right? And some of them are really easy to fact check. And you just do a quick Google and something like she comes home and says, uh, Mummy, did you know that earthworms have five hearts? And you do a quick Google and you're like, blimey, they do. That's, they do. That's do, a they? great fact. I'm going to yeah. use that. Wow. They can apparently have either five or ten or zero hearts, depending on how you define heart. But what they don't have is. I thought
4: you were about to say, depending on how you cut them. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
4: mean, that is well. like a I very
0: mean, uh... <laughs> inequitable society earthworms heart (laughs) inequality
3: there's one heart in each piece I don't know Uh, so uh, but that was a fact that came home that we thought was complete rubbish and it it turned out to be true some of them are like not factual at all but you can't really put them straight either way without kind of ruining their childhood like uh, coming Mm. home and saying I met Santa today (laughs)
0: let me just google that for a second kid (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> or coming home and saying like, mummy, did you know that unicorns poop rainbow sparkles? Like you, you can't say anything <laughs> because until we've observed it, we can't say truly either way, whether that's true or not. So I can't I can't yeah. comment on things like that. Um, some of them are plain factually wrong. Like, mummy, did you know that boys can't marry boys and girls can't marry girls? Right. And that is <laughs> very easy to evidence with photos from weddings where she's been a flower girl. Like, very, very easy. Don't even need to Google that one. And like, you have to do a bit of a dig, you know, find out if she's just uh, misunderstood something that a teacher has said or the teacher's gone rogue or is it one of these true facts that one of the kids have said in the playground? And to be fair, right, gay marriage was legalized in the UK before she was even born. So she might not have had a memo about it. So what I'm saying is we kind of get a lot of facts of various factualness and they're coming home every single day. And last year, one of them came home that I just knew absolutely straight away, 100%, which is completely wrong. Like the fact was owls don't go twit-twoo. Girl owls go twit and boy owls go twoo. No. And I was like, get out of town.
4: Absolutely no, no way.
3: The earthworm hearts, I, I had enough energy to Google that, because I thought, you know what? I didn't even know earthworms had hearts, so I'm going to check that one out. But this owl thing, no way. And then I, I checked. I probed a bit, right? I did a bit of, bit of checking. I asked her who told her, and she said it was the drama teacher. And I was like, well, there you go. Right,
4: no, well, yeah. I don't My want, prejudices are kicking in yeah. straight
0: away.
3: It's a cute story. Yeah.
0: It's exactly what a drama teacher would tell a bunch of kids. <laughs>
4: So they've, so they've all got it's a role. Exactly, it's also exactly <laughs> the type of fact that spreads because it's fun to say, not because it's true. I, totally. infectious fact.
3: Everything about it just made me think, well, this is definitely not true. Like, it's a nice idea for a bit of improvised play that, and
0: drama club. Yeah. Isn't that it's cute, like, yeah. right? 100% two kids were arguing over who got to be the owl in a play. <laughs> 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 and... The, the drama is like, well, you wouldn't believe it. But we can't just have one of you saying to it to woo. We're going to have to divide this role.
3: I mean, I've seen West End shows with less plot than girls go twit and boys go true, right? So yeah.
2: Yeah. you
3: can see why it just played to my prejudices. But she kept on insisting that it was true. Every day she'd come home and she said, Mummy, you told me it wasn't true, but I checked and it's definitely true. And I was like, cool, you checked with who? The drama teacher. Yes, well, of course she's going to like double down on her factual play because that's her job, right? I just wish the drama teacher would stick to making stuff up about unicorn poop instead of <laughs> trying to do science. It's like stay in your lane. just went on about it so many times that I did eventually Google it and where is me, it is actually true. No. <laughs> it is the stone codric no. for one particular type of owl it is the tawny owl, which admittedly is a very popular owl in Europe oh, no, no. and <laughs> in the yeah, United it's a Kingdom. Big owl. Um, and genuinely the girl owl goes um, twit, or it's more like a quick, quick. And the boy owl goes um, kind of, whoo, whoo. And when you hear them together, it sounds like twit too.
4: Are they in different places? Or are they like next to each other courting? Or are they trying to find each other? Or what's, what's happening?
3: Yeah, it is a combination of like a mating call. It's about finding other owls. So the female says, kawik because it's trying to let other owls know that it's around. And the male does it as a contact call, but also as a territorial call. So it kind of responds to the female and also mm. says, get off my turf. Um, I found a recording, there's a website for sharing bird songs. I've spent quite a lot of time on it recently. Um, and it's called xeno-canto.org. And this is uh, someone called Regina Eidner, who has recorded it in uh, Brandenburg in a forest. It is two tawny owls. Uh, calling to each other from across a lake. And the female is just going, like, kawick, kawick, kawick. <laughs> and the guy's like, playing hard to get.
4: <laughs> okay. Was a quick That's a very lonely quick, isn't it?
3: Yeah.
0: Kuwick? Quick? This this sounds perfectly normal. Like this is familiar. But I yeah. would have sworn that you hear one sound following the other. Yeah.
3: You've never been trapped between two owls having a conversation. You've only heard <laughs> oh. two owls from a, from a distance. Like a triang tri- like a triangle of owls rather than being <laughs> in a straight line between between two owls
0: until you 've been collinear with two owls you't you, you haven 't lived you know, <laughs> you yeah. just don't know yeah.
3: <laughs> so this was just mind blowing how all three of us and everyone else I have told this fact to since then has understood that owls go to it too, and that there are no owls that some of them go to it and some of them go to it. and it, there is something that might have led to this. And uh, it's misrepresentation through Shakespeare. So there's a bit of Love's Labour's Lost where uh, there's a line that says, Then nightly sings the staring owl, to wit, to woo, a merry note. And so pretty much the history of owls has been changed because Shakespeare wanted it to rhyme with something. Our biological knowledge has been decreased by classic playtexts instead of increased. I blame Shakespeare for
4: everything to do with this now. Shakespeare has a lot to answer for. I don't
0: think that's Shakespeare's first major impact on avian ecology. We'll go with that. (laughs) Wasn't there like someone in New York in the 1800s who wanted to have every bird mentioned in Shakespeare in Central Park? I may be half remembering this, but they released a bunch of introduced species because they wanted to have no. every Shakespearean bird, which I now assume includes the tawny owl. In... Yeah, you'd
3: hope so. so.
0: So, can you imagine I brought that home to you as a fact after school, Helen, and just do a cursory Google.
3: Okay. Oh, what if we had all the birds from Shakespeare in Central Park? Question mark. Oh, it's a JSTOR article. So, yeah, uh, according to Birding law. Birding law. Mm, that sounds like mm. drama teacher to me bird uh, two of America's most invasive bird species were introduced by a misguided Shakespeare fan named Eugene Scheifen, in guy. 1890 Scheifen imported and released 60 starlings from England into New York City's Central Park he did the same with another 40 birds in 1891, that's Wikipedia so slightly less uh, here we go, oh there's a BBC article as well, is that more or less trustworthy than a drama teacher? I don't know.
4: They failed on the owls. They only brought male tawny owls. Very sad when it just went to woo.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, these tawny owls, they do mostly live in the countryside, but they basically live anywhere where there's trees or Ah. things that are like trees. So they do live in cities as well. So as long as there's trees or very, very tall tree-like things like church steeples and stuff like that and it's reasonably quiet during the day so it is totally possible to have introduced tawny owls into central park but i don't <laughs> think shakespeare was specific about it being tawny owls ah. so maybe there's a loophole there any mm, old owl them, yeah any old owl requirement. well this leads me on to a song <laughs> 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 Who's S- the time to in a song <laughs> Seamless, seamless, guys. Because um, I, I do have a song about uh, animal behavior, specifically animal mating behavior, like the Twits and the trues, which I wrote some time ago and was recorded by a wonderful producer, Jamie Simmons down in Brighton. And there's a special guest spot from Professor Elemental, the uh, uh, chap-hop steampunk spoken word performer.
4: <laughs> the you Yeah. chap-hop. <laughs>
3: oh yeah well this song is about the weird fact-checked mating behaviors of different animals and i I can't think of anything else that could finish off my (laughs) complete idiocy and lack of belief in drama teachers Uh, so i would like to dedicate this to primary school creatives everywhere may you continue to teach what is true and i promise from now on i will believe you
2: Hundred. Starting. Let's make love exactly like other animal, but mostly dogs. Open up that Wikipedia page. Let's make love like anglerfish. fish yeah. It's kind of complicated, but it's worth it. You use your highly developed olfactory sense to swim towards me for several days. And then
3: you bite me and that releases an enzyme that then dissolves your skin and your flesh and your fins leaving only a pair of genitals attached to the side of my body for me to use when it's convenient. I've been waiting
4: to find someone so animalistic misunderstood just because I like badgers and whippets and seagulls and snails who incidentally fire love darts well I brought some chocolate if you like them I'll dance like a squid or croon like a humpback whale, let's make passionate love a beast with two tails or a porcupine, I'll spray with wee and if you don't scream we'll get to it, actually skip that one, let's not do it, let's get it on like pigmy chimpanzees, you know constantly, not rest until we've done some things that even seem odd to me I am the man to put the ooh in zoology, you can be my queen I'm the drone in our colony, but let's leave the metaphor there, because as everybody knows, when a gentleman bee is done his genitals explode, oh no I've said too much, now I'm alone, confused Waiting like a self cloning lizard, too much pseudo copulation. I
2: oh, love like love like animals, yeah, It's me. like a biology, GCSE, but sexy.
3: I've done my naughty
2: course. I know what will get you in the mood to love like an animal. Yes. I'll get up my David Attenborough. With a cup of tea Oh, God, yes This is not getting us anywhere I've never seen a praying mantis in HD
0: God, do you see what she did afterwards? She ripped his head off and, and ate it.
4: <laughs> dear God
2: Do you want to No No
4: No
3: I guess we'll end up being the same animals We've always been Pandas
0: Which reminds me of plotting functions. So, um... (laughs) Wow. Okay, you know what? Okay, let me, uh, let me, uh, okay, okay, okay. No, that
3: was perfect. We just had a little insight into uh, your married life there.
0: (laughs) Well, a lot of plotting functions involves multiplying.
4: (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) That's a
0: slick segue. I like to segue out as smoothly as we got segued into the song. So there you are. That's where we're at. Um, But speaking of things people bring home from school or keep with them throughout their life, different people have different versions of the equation for a straight line. So if you were collinear with two owls, (laughs) how would you describe the general equation for a linear plot, like a straight line?
4: Y equals MX plus C.
0: Okay. And Helen, you'd, you'd match that?
3: I'd just say X equals Y and not and just say I only ever want nice. it to go through zero. Yeah, keep it simple, guys.
0: It's the same line. You're just looking at it different ways. And uh, but different countries have different versions. So some people would have been yelling Y equals uh, AX plus B. You've ah. got uh, MX plus C. There's, uh, different countries use different letters. But it's all the same idea. Everyone has this rough idea. You get a straight line with some version of y equals mx plus b, why not? Or y equals x. And that's the kind of view of a function where you get that equation, you put in a bunch of horizontal x values, you work out what y values you get out and you plot those points, and it's like a standard thing everyone has to do at at school. And the kind of, the, the super obvious point I'm trying to make here is that you can have an equation and you can use it to plot a function. Well, my moment of, that cannot be true, was not brought home from school. I think I saw it on Twitter. I think someone tweeted this kind of a, uh, did you know? And they tweeted a formula for, like, a function you would use to plot something. And its long version is, it's a half less than the floor function of the mod function of the floor function of y divided by 17 times 2 to the power of. And there's a string of, you know, it's like a whole sentence of algebra. And then they said this function plots itself. What? It's like it's like you plotted y equals mx plus c and instead of getting a straight line, you got a cursive line that wrote y equals mx plus c. Why?
4: That's ridiculous.
3: Oh, by the way, if you're a particularly visual person, uh, there is a link to a picture of this and more information in the show notes down below so uh, if you're not driving or something you can, you can look at it right now uh,
0: so I saw this because big fan of recursion and a lot of people who are big fans of recursion are also big fans of recursion and so I, <laughs> I, I saw, people were sending this to me and I <laughs> um, that's why I shouldn't make up jokes while I'm talking and don't
3: oh, worry uh, so I'm going to think of that joke tomorrow and laugh just the same Exactly. And then the I'm going same think amount about as it this the next time. day <laughs> and then laugh exactly the same.
0: The other day, I was checking how to spell recursion and I genuinely Googled it. And I was like, oh, I spelled it wrong because it said, did you mean recursion? And I clicked on it. I was like, oh, I fell for it. <laughs> so people were sending this around. This was, this was many years ago. And they were saying this function plots itself. As in, you plot the function and it plots. The equation is the plot. The plot is the equation. It's called Tupper's self-referential formula. And the crazy thing is it works. So I I did it. So I was like, no, there's no way a function plots itself. And
4: so I got it. Can't, it. it can't. A function can't plot itself because the equation for a curve yep. is always going to be more complicated visually than the curve it represents. So you can keep adding curves to write a word but it's always then going to be more complicated to actually describe that curve with an equation.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're going to have this runaway effect where you need to add a yeah. bit more to the to the curve to give you the equation. But then you've got to add more to the equation to describe that next bit of the curve. And, yeah. and you know, one thing leads to the other. But that's because... A lot of people think of plotting equations like what they did at school, where you just put in the horizontal values, you get out the other values. There's a different way of thinking about plotting a function. And it's just imagining having a rule, and then you use that to check every single location on your graphs, every point on the plane, every x, y coordinate. And so instead of saying a straight line is y equals mx plus c, what you could do is say, oh, a straight line is all the pairs of x and y, where mx plus c subtract y equals 0. And now you've gone from an equation to kind of like a test. And, and if a point, like if a pair of coordinates, if a location on the graph passes the test of some number times the x-coordinate minus c, whatever it is, subtract whatever the y-coordinate is, equals 0, then you, you colour in that point. And so what you've got now is a test, like, a, and you can write the test quite short, which then applies to the entire plane. And what they've done is written a test such that the only pairs of points that pass the test form the pixels of the equation. And so it's not like a perfectly handwritten version of the equation. It's like a low-resolution I'm going to use 8-bit, but not in the literal sense. It's like a (laughs) low-res
4: pixel art of the equation. So it's a bitmap image as opposed to a vector image. It's literally a bitmap
0: image. (laughs) And so when I looked into it, I was like, where did this come from? So there was a guy called Jeff Tupper who was working in Canada. And they'd written a paper called Reliable Two-Dimensional Graphing Methods a mathematical formulae with two free variables. And so it was like a computer science paper looking at bitmap functions of how you can use mathematical formulae to put together a way to represent images as like binary bitmap data. And it's an afterthought. It's like page 7 of 10. They're like, oh and by the way, this function can plot itself. Because what that function was actually doing is not just plotting itself it would plot everything so what the formula actually did was it would plot every conceivable 106 by 17 pixel image so any picture or image you could reduce down to a pure black and white on or off 106 by 17 pixel image it would plot them and it plots them one after the other, stacked above each other. And so the formula, it's not like you put in Tupper's self-referential formula into a graphing program and just its equation appears. If you plot it, every possible 106 by 17 pixel image appears. Because the crazy thing about the vertical axis just keeps going. Like there's no, (laughs) like the vertical axis doesn't get to a point point. it's like, I'm exhausted. I'm out. Always another y-coordinate. That's where that expression comes from. And so the the <laughs> equation, not only does it plot Tupper's self-referential formula along the way, it plots every conceivable formula. Huh. So I went through and I found where it plots uh, E equals mc squared. Famous equation. I found where it <laughs> plots E equals mc cubed, which is meaningless gibberish. Like it does, it's just everything. And so the fact that it plots itself was just a byproduct of the fact that it plots uh, everything. And links
4: to what that looks like in the show notes, of course. How far up the y-axis do you have to go to find the formula for itself? Because hang on, it's
3: like 17 by, what did you say? One hundred
0: It's 106 by 17. So that's only 1,802 pixels. Yeah,
3: And it, it, each of the, so 106 times 17. And then there's every single one of those squares, like pixels, could be either black or white, like on or off. That is a large number of possible variations. That is seriously. It's
0: roughly, roughly 2.9 times 10 to the 542. So, that's how far what? up you have to go. <laughs> no, that's the what? number of possible 106 by 17 images right. available.
3: Can you say right. that again, but with like uh, blah, 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 with this many zeros after it? Tell oh, again.
0: sorry. It's about three. <laughs> Followed by 542
3: zeros. <laughs> I mean, that is substantially larger than what I was even imagining. <laughs> That's insane.
0: Yeah. So what I'm just doing now, I'm going to try and answer Steve's question. I've just put the number quickly into Python, turned it into a string, and asked at the length of the string. Yeah, 543 digits is the, the Y coordinate value where this appears. It appears... At a y-coordinate of 96093937991895 and so on. And then that for, you know, 543 digits. So so
3: literally anything that you could possibly draw or write in this little pixelated box appears in the equation. So you could have like... Appears uh, in the plot. Tau is bad, pi is best... If you could fit that in yeah. there, yeah, exactly,
0: or, yeah. Every um, every self evident truth is in there somewhere, yeah, and but,
4: every falsehood, of course.
3: You could you could put some shortened version of "girls go twit and boys go twu, uh or maybe a little <laughs> yeah. picture of an owl. That'd be lovely. Picture
0: of an owl, definitely. You'd be up against the resolution, although in the original <laughs> paper, Tupper laid out that you can adapt the same formula to give you any dimension grid. Every version of any given dimension grid. So what you could do is instead of doing 106 by 17, you could pick bigger dimensions. I'll yeah. tweak the, the, the formula and you'd get every single version of that bigger image. There'd just be a lot more of them. exponentially. Yeah. So. yeah. And so uh, if you have a close look at the equation for of self-referential formula, you can kind of see why you're getting a pixelated image out of it. Because like Steve was pointing out, you'd expect continuous like lines and you're, both axes. You can have numbers of any value. So why are you getting discrete square pixels? And they've got things that look like square brackets with the tops missing. So it looks like an L at the beginning and a backwards L at the end. And that in mathematics is the floor function which most people call round down. So within the Mm. equation, there's a bunch of rounding down to the nearest whole number, which means that catches, because it's like a test, that catches all the values within a square bit between whole values on the two different axes. And some of the rounding down is used to kind of scan, I'm putting this in quotes, scan the y-coordinate. Because if you want to find the middle part of a number... Like, algorithmically, what you can do is divide it by, like, a million, which effectively shifts it all to the to the right, and then round down. And what you've done is you've moved a bunch of it past the decimal point, and then by rounding down, you got rid of it. And so what you can do that way is you can kind of scan your way through a number, which is what this formula is doing. And so the y-coordinate where each image starts is like the data in the bitmap. And Tupper's self-referential formula is the way to then scan through that data and plot it. But it's all done in one equation, which is what's just so absolutely incredible about it. It's very cool. The only issue some people can have with this is it does use the floor function, which is not like a standard bit of algebra. And I did a challenge Mm. recently to try and find an equation to plot a triangle, which is a lot easier than a function that plots its own equation. But finding a combination of algebraic operations like an equation you can write down with not using anything too complicated that would plot a triangle and it's super difficult and you have to end up using that sounds really
3: easy that sounds super duper easy
0: that's one of two responses to there's no nice equation
4: to plot a triangle some people
0: are like but it's a triangle (laughs) like we learn shapes go are you
4: allowed to do the equation and then say for x greater than thing less than thing so that's that's not allowed.
0: Uh, yes and no. So it's got to be one, you know, equation by itself with no conditions. Mm. But within that, it depends if you're happy with using like absolute value, which is technically an if then kind of statement. Like absolute mm. value is return the value if it's bigger than zero, or return negative the value if it's below zero. And you can do triangles if you're allowed to use things like the, the sine, not, not like the wavy sine function, just like the sine function, which returns the sine of the number. It gives you negative one if it's negative, one if it's positive. And you've got these more and more exotic functions and things like min and max. So you can do, you can plot a triangle if like you're allowed to use the min function. Because, mm. But then people are like, but that's not algebraic. Now, that's just like you've hidden another equation inside this equation. And people get a bit upset about that. And so Tupper's uh, self-referential formula is using the floor function, which is easy to write, but it's actually a bit of a complicated function. People have managed to sneak in there. So then there's a whole other argument about what counts as a function or not. And so I foolishly put on YouTube a video where I'm like, well, here's an equation that kind of Plots a triangle, and now my inbox is like 50% triangle <laughs> equations. Nah. That'll happen. Do you
3: know what? I am so looking forward to in about 10 years' time. My daughter comes home from school and says, uh, uh, Mummy, did you know it's not possible to write a single equation to plot a triangle? And <laughs> yeah. I will have forgotten about this podcast recording, and I will be like, No way, who told you that? And my drama say,
0: teacher, they're a uh, failed ex. Performing mathematician.
4: <laughs> I can often tell when Matt's getting a lot of email about something because it leaks. <laughs> into, <laughs> like, so, you know, if I'm getting emails yeah. about a sign function, how to build a sign function, as in to return a minus one or a one. And that's based on a Matt Parker video. I think gosh, how many emails must Matt be getting if I'm getting them as well? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like you you know the distance you are from Ground Zero of that video, and you know the amount <laughs> the amount of energy you're receiving. you can do a Fermi calculation for what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> At
2: this, yeah, I get
3: tweets every time someone does anything about bananas or radioactivity. Yeah, and even yeah. more when they do something about the two together. It's I, I can I can tell my like my spidey sense knows that out there yeah. someone has been talking about bananas. I know it. I just know it. Or it, it was I a GCSE
0: exam question.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that was it. That was I got emails and um, the day after a GCSE exam question was about radioactive bananas and uh, someone emailed me to tell me that I had helped them pass their GCSE because (laughs) I'd written a song about radioactive bananas. Guys, that is the kind of thing that goes both ways. Drama teachers bring facts home to me. I send (laughs) facts back to the science department. It's a beautiful, beautiful circle. You've offset
0: (laughs) your weird fact emissions so you're weird fact neutral. (laughs)
4: Here's the thing I couldn't believe. Basically, I'm here to yes and the thing about anglerfish from Helen's song. But it's about barnacles. It's a weird type of barnacle. It's called a, a rhizocephala. I don't know if you know about the life cycle of a barnacle. Do you know anything about barnacles?
3: I think I know that they have enormous penises.
4: Yes, I actually wasn't going to mention that. So yeah, thanks for bringing I'm it up. Sorry. Wow. I'm so uh, sorry. Yeah, it's not part you of what I was going to say, but it is an interesting. Uh, yeah, well, because they're because know... they're because they're stuck in one place. How do they mate? Well, they have to <laughs> extend something out. They have to they have to literally reach out, uh, and they reach out with <laughs> they their... reach
3: out to connect. That's Genitals, that. I mean that yeah. I'm sorry that is the one thing I know about them, okay. and I'm sorry I brought it up now. It well, must no, be the inner fine. drama teacher in me. I don't know what it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For all the visual learners, there will not be pictures of that available. <laughs>
4: on our socials they start off as something called cyprids these tiny little things called cyprids they don't have a shell yet or anything like that they're floating around looking for a suitable rock when they find one they stick to the rock they use a special glue and then they start to grow and then they form their shell the way cyprids work this is really cool because like how does glue work underwater the first thing they do is squeeze this chemical out that pushes the water away from the rock, and then they squeeze the glue out, and that's how they stick to rocks. What? Huh. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it?
3: Well, they, like, clean the surface. They make, make sure there's nothing that will ruin the glue before like they put
0: the glue the layer. Yeah.
4: Yeah. You know how on the glue it says, make sure the surface is clean and dry? They do that. But I'm talking about a specific type of barnacle called rhizocephala that doesn't do that. So they still have the cyprid stage, and it's floating around, but it's not looking for a rock. It's looking for a crab or some other crustacean. This is the female cyprid we're talking about specifically. And when the cyprid finds a crab, it doesn't attach itself to the outside. It works its way into the crab, and then it grows a network of roots that spread out to every part of the crab's body.
0: I never thought I'd be nostalgic uh, for the penis conversation part of this. <laughs> I didn't realize that was the high point. It grows oh. like tendrils out through the inside of the crab.
4: That's right, yeah. I imagine the crab
0: is deeply unimpressed.
4: Oh, deeply? Well, actually the opposite, we'll get to that.
0: Is it like
3: in Alien, it like grows inside and then does it burst out?
4: Well, yes, we'll get <laughs>
3: Spoilers. Steve, desperately <laughs> yeah,
4: avoiding spoiler spoilers. I've given
3: spoilers for both Alien and Rhizocephala in, in one. I'm so sorry. I've ruined Christmas for everyone. Oh, yeah.
4: So, yeah, you you have these uh, roots. And that was the thing that I didn't believe when I first heard it. I was like, no, not roots. That's ridiculous. It's it, it, And it just seemed to me like I know the shape of a barnacle. You can't have these barnacles over here looking like that and these barnacles over here looking like the roots of a tree it's ridiculous but it's true and so but they also grow on the outside this little lump of tissue it's called the externa and that sits on the outside of the crab so the roots are in there you know stealing nutrients and stuff and the externa is there as like where the the ovaries are and the the eggs and so the male cyprid they're floating around The male cyprids are looking for the externa, because on the externa there are these two receptors, and the male latches onto one of the receptors, and it does the same thing as the male anglerfish. It it shrivels, it shrinks down, but it's even more extreme. It just becomes really a collection of a few different cells, and the purpose of that collection of cells is to produce sperm, when it's needed for the female. The transformation of the male body is so extreme that for a long time scientists thought that the rhizocephala barnacle was a hermaphrodite. So the one animal had both sex organs within the body. It was only when they eventually found these tiny cyprids, the male cyprids, floating around that they realized there were two sexes for this animal.
3: So the males become so insignificant that they're just a tiny, tiny sperm bank.
4: Yeah. Interestingly, the externa has two receptors, so you can have two different males, which is different to the anglerfish. With the anglerfish, a female anglerfish may meet several male anglerfish over the course of its life, and they all bite on, and turn into testicles. Yeah. So if you get massive little you...
3: collections, lovely. Yeah. Like jewels. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So mature female anglerfish are often covered in balls, basically.
3: I've seen one at the Natural History Museum, in the stores at the Natural History Museum. Have you? Uh, And yeah, it's literally like, I thought, oh, this is nice. It's got like textured skin. It looked like dimpled, you know, the dimples you get on like a basketball or something, or like a child's toy.
4: Yeah. It, It looked
3: like that. And then I was like, oh no, each of those is a memory of testicles past.
4: Do you know what I'm surprised about? I'm surprised at how jealous I am of that. Um, I mean, that you've seen we it. We all are, I mean. Steve. I, not, <laughs> I'm surprised um, I'm now
0: nostalgic just... for the tentacle root conversation.
4: <laughs> uh. <laughs> Here's the cool thing, though.
3: Oh, please, <laughs> do tell. Oh, no, Go yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> the
4: rhizocephala barnacle releases chemical signals to the crab to change its behavior. So one thing it does is it increases the parental instincts. Of the crab. And so the externa of the rhizocephala is in the same place as the crab would have its egg sac. So the crab thinks it's carrying eggs and it cares for them and protects them. Even though it's little baby cyprids that are growing in there, little baby barnacles that are growing in there.
3: It's like an underwater cuckoo.
4: Yeah, it yeah. is. And it, it it releases chemicals to practically sterilize the crab as well so that the crab won't have actual eggs that it would need to compete with. And oh, um, if the female cyprid lands on a male crab, it releases chemical signals to make the male crab more female to the point where sometimes a male crab's testes will turn into ovaries. And the final thing is... A crab that is carrying eggs in its brood sack, when the eggs are ready to leave, it kind of flaps at them to waft them into the water. And it does the same thing for the barnacles when the barnacle babies are ready to leave. It's a complete hijack. It's amazing. I know it's heavily implied, but I feel like the crab is getting
0: a bad deal out of this.
4: (laughs) Yeah. It's not good for the crab. Though the crab doesn't know. I mean, the crab, I mean, if I we're going to anthropomorphize the crab, then the crab thinks it's had babies and been successful at that thing. It's released a horde of internal zombies into its local neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. What well on crab. And
3: it's waved them off like it's sending them off to
0: university. <laughs> no. But instead
4: of sending them off to university, it's sending them off to its other crab friends <laughs> to, be, uh, oh, to be infected that's by. That's
0: really...
4: And That's this is a barnacle. It's a barnacle.
3: So thank you, Steve. Like, I started off this podcast knowing that uh, barnacles have giant penises. And I've ended this podcast um, wishing that that is the only thing I know about barnacles. <laughs> <laughs> Please make it stop.
0: Okay, it's all over. That's the end of the episode. Any moment now, you're going to have to stop listening.
4: Look, sorry to keep banging on about it, but we are part of the ACAST Creator Network. So just bear that in mind. And as always, there are loads more details linked in the show notes. They're also available at com forward slash podcast. Things like Owl Facts, free download of Helen's Animal Song, a visual guide to Tupper's self-referential formula. Look, there aren't any pictures of barnacle penises, so you might as well check it out.
3: (laughs) And if you're enjoying this podcast, uh, please spread the nerd however you can. The more people listen, the more of these we can make in the future. And if you want to get in touch, we're on all the social media and on podcast at festivalofthespokennerd.com.
0: And if you've already done all of that, And listen to series one. I mean, don't forget we also make other science comedy stuff as Festival of the Spoken Nerd. So yeah, look that up. Thanks for coming.
3: Bye. A podcast of unnecessary detail is made by Festival of the Spoken Nerd. That's Helen Arney, Steve Mould, and Matt Parker. Our series producer is Lindsay Fenner, who also produced this episode. Our theme music is by Howard Carter, and we are proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. Thanks for listening.